Well, let's jump into prayer and we'll get into teaching. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come into your house, God, and learn from you. Thank you, Father, for waking us up this morning because, God, you're not done with us yet. We still have something to do for your honor and for your glory, God. And, Lord, I just thank you for your love. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you, God, for your word and what it means to me. Thank you, God, that you have given us direction and instruction. Thank you, God, that every answer that we seek is in your word. And Father, I pray that you'll bless our time this morning. I pray, God, Lord, that you'll give us ears to hear and understand, Lord, what you are trying to say. Father, most importantly, I ask, God, Lord, that you will empty me completely of me and speak through me this morning, God. Because if you don't speak, God, it just isn't worth it. God, we need to hear from you. And Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So if you have your new Hebrews study book, we're gonna be on page number four, and we're gonna be talking about today how much is required. Much is required. And we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter two, verses one through four. Hebrews chapter two, verses one through four. The writer to the Hebrews ventures far into the theological significance of the Old Testament and the person of the Son of God, but he never loses sight of the practical significance of learning spiritual truth. The author never loses sight of the practical significance of learning spiritual truth. As we see in these first two chapters, the author of Hebrews dives deep into the Old Testament, dives deep and explains in the Old Testament. So, <clears throat> that being said, as we have taught for a long time now, the Old Testament is just as relevant today as it was back in the day. The Old Testament is significant. We must learn, know, and understand the Old Testament and what it is saying to us today. And the author of Hebrews really understood that. And in Hebrews chapter 2, 1 through 4, the author issues the first of five stern warnings for the readers to act on the truth that they have received. Five stern warnings. And if you take notes, I'm going to give you where you can find all five warnings. It's in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And then you will find it again in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 13. And then chapter 5, verse 12 through chapter 6, verse 12. And then in chapter 10, verses 19 through 39. And then in chapter 12, verses 12 through 29. These are the five warnings the author issues to the Hebrew people. But I'm gonna to read today from Hebrews 2, verses one through four, it says this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. If you are a person who likes to highlight or draw lines in your word, 
like I am, some don't, maybe write a note, but the important part is lest we drift away. Verse two, for since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. There are several different parts on those first four verses. But the key is, in verse 1, it says, therefore, we must pay closer, not just closer, but much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. One reason the writer of Hebrews focuses on the superiority the superiority of God's Son and His revelation is to stress to those who have experienced His salvation that they must not become careless about the commitment required by a personal relationship with God. The word drift away produces a mental picture of a ship drifting past a safe harbor and continuing until it reaches a point where it wrecks. If we are to avoid this end result, we must pay close attention to God's word. Our relationship with Christ is, and the leading of the Holy Spirit is so important. One, if we, would, if, if, if we neglect, which is carelessness or apathy, neglect, carelessness, or apathy is spiritually fatal. Neglect, carelessness, and apathy is spiritually fatal. Those are pretty bold words, aren't they? But bold words are very true. It can be fatal. Believers who, because of negligence, allow their relationship with Christ and their devotion to the truth to slip are in great danger of being swept away by the waves of life past the safe harbor and from the place of security. Why? Because of neglect and carelessness or apathy. Like the recipients of this letter, we are expected to take this warning seriously so as not to become negligent or careless about our relationship with God. We must not neglect our personal time with God where we develop our relationship with Him through spending time in the word and prayer. In addition, we must not ignore the guidance of the Holy Spirit within us. Otherwise, we begin to pay less attention to his word. We stop pressing steadily forward in our struggle against sin and slowly drift away from Jesus. See how easy that is? We get saved, we're on fire. We're gonna make that time for God. We're gonna get up, we're gonna read, we're gonna pray. We're gonna become hungry. We become hungry, we do all those things. And then all of a sudden, life gets in the way. Life gets in the way. Say we get married, but that's okay. You found a wife or a husband 
who wants to join in with you, right? So together you're studying, you're praying, you're, you're going. But then kids come. Then all of a sudden you're really tired because one of you are up all night or both of you are up all night taking shifts, taking care of the baby. Well, then all of a sudden you sacrifice your personal time with God. Well, I won't read today. I won't pray today. Or many other things can happen that all of a sudden, I just don't have time today. I don't have time today. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're not spending time with God at all, except for when you come into church. And even then, all the distractions of the world are so clouding your mind, you can't even pay attention to what's going on. You have a few good minutes, minutes, <laughs> minutes of praise and worship where you feel good, but then you sit down and you listen to the word, and maybe your favorite person who's supposed to be preaching isn't there, so, oh, why did I come today? I could have stayed home. Man, I could have watched it online if I knew Pastor Aaron or Pastor Amanda wasn't preaching. That would have been all right. But then you say that, but then you turn on the live stream, and then you get busy and don't pay attention. Come on, we all know we've done it and it's happened. It's okay, we can be honest. Well, I just missed church today. Why is it so important to be in church? Because it's hard enough to pay attention in church, let alone to not be in church and try to pay attention on a live stream. Maybe some are better than me, but look, y'all, it's hard for me. I'm not gonna lie. It's the importance of being in church. But it's easy because then all of a sudden, you start to drift. You're hanging on to the power of God by prayer and study. And then all of a sudden, life gets busy and your grip starts to slip. And then before you know it, those who have been to the ocean, who've swam and who've got caught up in that tide, all of a sudden, you're a mile down from where you went in. Before you, before you know it. And then you're trying to get back, and then you're fighting against the current to get back. You're doing everything you can to get back. Sometimes you just get, and then you miss, and you go again. That's why it's important to stay in the Word. The author of Hebrew gives warning after warning after warning about the importance of not drifting away. We are held accountable for what we know. I want to say that again. We are accountable for what we know. The fact is echoed throughout the whole New Testament. The entire New Testament points to the fact that we are going to be held accountable for what we know. It is imperative. If we are to serve as powerful disciples of Christ that we cling, that we cling to and act upon what we have learned. Because we are responsible for what we know. In Luke, Luke chapter 12, verses 41 through 48. Luke chapter 12, verses 41 through 48. I'm gonna be 100% honest. When I first read this scripture, I thought I knew what it was talking about. And then I got digging into it and I was like, wow, <laughs> I 
I really didn't know what it was talking about. Actually, back in 30, I'm not going to read all of it, but back in 35, it's Jesus and he's speaking the parable and that's where it starts. And the heading is, you must be ready. You must be ready. Verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? He was asking if the parable was just for the disciples or if it's for everybody who hears. And the Lord said, verse 42, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions, but if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants to eat and to drink and get drunk, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at the hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. See, we like to use that one part of to him much is given, much is required. We like to throw that just on leaders of the church. Oh, man, they've been given a lot because they're leaders of the church. So they have to sit on a different plane and a different level, which in some aspects is true. But to everyone who comes in, to everyone who has saved, you have been given much and much is required of you also. Much is required of you also. And see, it's, 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 really, it's really hard when I read this and to, for me to understand because the commentary on it is, is crazy. The commentary is talking about levels of punishment. By denying that Christ could return at any time is to judge those who are careless towards him. Unfaithful people totally ignore Christ's warning to be prepared for his return. Christ's return will be a disastrous time for those who have neglected their spiritual responsibilities, become rebellious towards God, and abandon their relationship with him. It will end their opportunity to turn to God and receive forgiveness and eternal life. In other words, it can happen at any time. And when it happens, it's final. So to whom much is given, much is required. Much has been given to all of us who believe and who have received. And we will be held accountable for that. That's why 
We are, as it says right here in the book, are going to be held accountable for what we know. And it is imperative, it is imperative that we act on and continue to grow in that learning. So we are not pushed and drifted away. I want to read the New Living Translation, if it's all right, of this, of this chapter, because it really brought, uh, for me, it brought it home to me a little bit more. Sorry, I'm trying to get there. I didn't save it, and I so apologize. So the New Living Translation says, and Peter asked, Lord, is it that is that illustration just for us or for everyone? And the Lord replied, a faithful, sensible servant is one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. A faithful, sensible servant is one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. That's a big responsibility, isn't it? It's a big responsibility. And we are called to do just that. If the master returns and finds that that servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. Hey, that's the good part, y'all. Be faithful. Be faithful to what he's called us to do. And guess what? There will be a reward. We're promised that. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. Of all he owns, the faithful servant will be in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while and begins to beat other servants, partying and getting drunk? What about that? Man, they've been talking about Jesus coming for such a long time. I'll use myself as an example. My dad used to always say, son, you're never going to graduate, not because he didn't think I was smart, because he thought God was coming back before I'd ever get out of high school. <laughs> We've heard it for so long. Jesus' return is coming. Oh, it's so close. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. And there are a lot of us who really, <laughs> who really don't believe it. We say we do, but do you? Do you believe that you may not see your next breath, your next heartbeat? Oh, well, there's grace. I can go out and party and get drunk and act a fool, but there's grace. Sunday's coming. I can, I, it's cool. I'm fine. Is it? But what if the servant thinks my master won't be back for a while and he begins beating other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will, will, the master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. We understand what that's saying? The servant who was just that he trusted was found unfaithful. The servant who was serving him faithfully that he gave the keys to the kingdom all of a sudden became unfaithful. Why? Because he drifted away because he didn't think his master was coming. And then all of a sudden the master shows up. 
And when the master shows up, it says the master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. So the servant who knows what the master wanted, so we sit here every week, we know what the master wants, but we're not prepared. We're not carrying out the instructions that he left for us. That servant also is gonna be severely punished. And the servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know, listen, but someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. Everybody else picking up what this is saying now? To whom much is given, much is required. To whom much knowledge has been revealed will be held accountable greater than the one who didn't know. According to the parable, those who know and turn their back will be punished more than. More than the ones who didn't know. According to the parable. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. The words of Jesus in the parable. We have been given much and much is required of us, which means we cannot be lazy. We cannot be lazy. We cannot sit on our hands and do nothing. We cannot not study his word and pray and expect that everything is gonna be okay. We cannot have the mindset of some religions that, well, God knew them before they were born because it says he knew them before he formed them in the mother's womb, so it's okay. God already knows who's gonna be saved and who's not gonna be saved, so why do I need to go out here and make such an effort? We were just talking about this on the way to church. There are theories out there in religion like that. I heard a pastor preach one time, a, a good old solid Baptist preacher. He said, well, if that's the truth, he said, and God painted a yellow stripe down the back of who's gonna be a Christian and who's not, are you gonna go around and pull everybody's shirt up to see if they're gonna be a Christian or not and then decide to witness to them? No, there's work to be done. To whom much is given, much is required. And that applies to all of us. We are also warned repeatedly about the dangers of allowing ourselves to drift due to complacency or sin. In Hebrews 3, verse 12, in Hebrews 3, verse 12, if I can find it, there we go. It says this, take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Again, the author warns, take care lest there be any of you 
an unbelieving, in any of you, an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Apostasy, we've heard the word apostasy. Everybody's heard that word before, haven't you? Apostasy. Apostasy appears twice in the New Testament as a noun. But here in Hebrews 12, verses, verse, chapter 3, verse 12, it's used as a verb. The Greek term literally means standing away from God. And it relates to spiritual rebellion, abandonment, withdrawal, or turning from what one has previously believed and experienced in a relationship with Christ. It typically involves denying a once sincere faith, disowning Jesus and abandoning the body of Christ. Although some who have turned their backs on a relationship with Christ may still pretend to be a part of the church, apostasy is the consequence, listen, Apostasy is the consequence of a willing and a deliberate choice to fall away from a loving God. That's what apostasy is. A willing choice. See, God created us with a choice. We do have a choice to or not to serve him. We do have a choice. But to whom much is given, much is required. To apostatize means to break off from one's saving relationship with Christ or withdraw from union with and faith in him. For this region, individual apostasy is possible only for those who have first experienced forgiveness and been spiritually born again and renewed through a personal relationship with Christ who do not truly have a relationship with Christ. Apostasy is not simply, I'm sorry, let me go back. Apostasy is not simply a denial of the New Testament belief in teaching by those in the church. It's one who do not truly have a personal relationship. Apostasy are those who do not have a personal relationship. You may say you have bowed a knee and you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but do you have a personal relationship with him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Because if you don't, then let me ask you, are you saved? Do you, are you, did you mean it? I had the privilege of speaking with a young man this week who many would say, oh, that young man's saved, he's been saved, he's been in church his whole life. Yeah, he's saved. But then when talking and, and hearing different things, God led me to say, can I just ask you a question? If you were to die today, do you really know that you would go to heaven? And in tears, he said, no, I don't. Just because somebody's been sitting in the pew your whole life doesn't mean that you're a Christian by default. If you don't have an everyday relationship with Jesus, I'm begging you, please, get right. Because it's not just bowing your knee and asking God to save you and then going about your life. It is a relationship. In a relationship, there's talking back and forth. There's figuring things out. When things go bad, you turn to each other for help. 
That's what a personal relationship is. If you don't have that personal relationship, if when the storms of life come, Jesus help me. If when the storms of life come, you'd rather go to a psychologist than you would God, that's an issue. I'm not mashing psychologists, I'm just saying. If you would rather take your problem to your best friend for whatever reason instead of taking your problem to God, there's an issue. And I love you enough this morning because there's something I learned this week. Are you saved? Are you really saved? Everything we hear right now is, is scary. I love the fact that we have elders. Elder Jeff looked at me two weeks, three weeks ago, and I had taught on fear. And I would mentioned a few things, but I didn't clarify fear. And I love it because Elder Jeff has the harumph to look at me and say, John, can I ask you a question? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you fear? I said, huh? He said, I'm going to ask you more importantly, are you scared to die? Are you scared? Do you fear death? I mean, and he will attest. I looked at him for a minute. I was like, Wait, what? But I love it. It was a direct question. Are you scared to die? And I had to think for a minute. Am I scared to die? The question for me is resounding, no, I don't fear death because I know that no matter what, I win. I win. If we were to have people come in here now, Hold guns to her, I said, do you believe Jesus, yes or no? If you believe him, you die. If you don't, you can go free. I believe in Jesus because in that moment, whether I live or whether I die, I win. Why? Because I have full faith in knowing that God is a God of his word. God is a God of his word. But if you can't genuinely answer that question of, if I, am I scared to, uh, uh, uh. and I told Elder Jeff, I'm going to be honest with you, it's kind of like jumping out of the plane. I ain't worried about the jump. I'm definitely not worried about the fall because I'm going to, oh man, I'm going to enjoy the view. It'd be great. That sudden stop at the bottom, eh, I ain't too keen on, right? Now, that being said, the unknown of how you will die, is that weird to me? Does that make me whatever? Yeah, I pray that, you know, I die in my sleep peaceful and happy and nothing's wrong, you know? And yeah, that'd be great. But actually crossing over from this life to the next, no, there's nothing to fear. If you fear the new COVID strand coming out and the lockdowns and all this mess, new shop mandates, Oh, everything's going bad. You know, I mean, I don't know if you know it or not, but some people are saying in two weeks the tribulation's supposed to start. So just in case, preppers prep. It's actually being said, I'm not lying. So what if it is? Are you scared? Are you fearful? To the point to where, God, I don't, uh, we can't be. We have to trust 
that as we're teaching this morning, we're going to be held accountable for what we know, which is good. It's good. Because if you study to show yourself approved, and if you're studying and you have that relationship with God, you're going to be held accountable, and that's good. It's only bad if you're not. It's only bad if you're not. So, the end times are on us, it's everywhere. But when those times come, be confident in the word. Be confident. The author of Hebrews warns us, don't fall away, don't drift. John 20, 23 version, hey, things are looking pretty bad on the horizon, but don't fall away and don't drift. Stay in the word. Know what you know, why you know it. And let me encourage all of us here. Again, I learned a lesson this week. Just because you assume somebody is saved, don't. Don't. If you feel a prompting in love, say, are you really saved? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die, that you would go to heaven? It's okay to ask that question. It's okay. I know I'm over, but I gotta end on a good note. Not all fear or whatever, okay? First John 4, verses 17 through 19. First John chapter four, verses 17 through 19, that says this. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We may love because he first loved us. We have no reason to fear because Christ loves us. Perfect love casts out all fear. Who has more perfect love than God? Nobody. Study to show ourselves approved. Yes, much has been given. Yes, much is required. But the perfect love of God should cast out all fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of it all. Because in the end, we win as long as we stay faithful to study, as long as we stay faithful to his calling, as long as we stay faithful in prayer, as long as we do our part. God has already done his. And listen, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. God has already done his part. Now it is up to us to do our part by studying, by reading, by praying, by staying in the word and listening to the Holy Spirit inside of us, directing us way to go. Amen? I love y'all, and listen, this is not a gloom and doom teaching, but this is a, hey, y'all, listen, we all gotta get on this thing and wake up and make sure that we're studying 
Perfect love casts out all fear. No fear of death, no fear of anything other than we win in the end. Amen. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for this word. God, thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to put it in black and white for us to read that your perfect love casts out all fear, all fear of unknown, all fear of worry, all fear of doubt, because, Father, you have already made a way through your son, Jesus. Thank you for the blood that was shed, God, for my salvation, for my healing. Thank you, Lord, for the covering of the blood. Thank you, Lord, that nothing can cross that bloodline without your permission. Thank you, Father, that you love us. And Father, allow us to stay in your word. Allow us, God, to stay in prayer to you. Father, convict us if we are not. Convict us, Father, and keep us in your word. God, we love you and we praise you. And right now, Father, I pray for the rest of this service. I pray, Lord, that you will be with everyone who walks through those doors. I pray, God, for miracles, signs, and wonders. I pray, Lord, for the greatest miracle of all is one to come home and bend a knee and ask to be saved. God, I pray that you will anoint every person in this place. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.